Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So as we come to Colossians chapter 3, there's a shift here. We've spoken now in the first two chapters about what Jesus has done, why He's preeminent, why we don't need to fix ourselves according to the wisdom of this world, but instead stand in the righteousness we have as a free gift of God. And now we, the shift in chapter three is how do we implement that righteousness that we already have? How do we live it out in our daily lives? I love that Jesus didn't just preach in church. He he didn't just teach in the synagogues of his time, but he once preached from a ship. And sometimes he would speak from dusty roads along dusty roads. Other times he would speak in people's homes. Other times he would be at the shoreline and then he would be on the mountains and and Jesus was wherever the people were. And I love that God is there with us, that he doesn't stay here on a Sunday waiting for us to visit him so that we can get a little bit of him and then we leave again and come visit him again next Sunday. No, he goes with us. He's with us in that meeting. He's with us in those moments. He's with us in our marriage. He's with us in our parenting. He's with us uh, when, we're, when we're struggling. How many of you know that sometimes if you wake up relaxed on a Sunday morning, we now have two services, so you don't have to come early. Um, and you can kind of wake up s- slowly and get ready and have a relaxed morning. How many of you know it's, it's, it's easy to be a, a good Christian on an on on a easy Sunday morning? But it's not always so easy when the pressure's on, when the stress is there. I had a moment like this this past week because for those of you that know me, you'll know that I, I, I enjoy pushing the limits sometimes. My wife is not like this at all and I give her a heart attack almost every day in various, regarding various different things. But one of the things that happened was that on Wednesday, uh, we drove out, we were in Pretoria, we came back and I think either on the way there, on the way back, the petrol light went on. So for me, that's only an opportunity for faith. That I, you know, I trust in the Lord and His provision and, and, you know, the fumes that are still in the tank. And so we actually, we were coming past the church here. We went up and we pulled into this new garage that opened up here, the new petrol station, pulled in there. And there were like two or three cars waiting at each, at each of the pumps. I don't know why it was so packed that day. But I was like, I'm not waiting. I just want to get home. So I left. I said, I'll put in fuel tomorrow. The next day, I kind of forgot. Um, that evening, I had to pick up my boys from school at about 7.30. They came home from a rugby game. I went there, but I didn't want to go again, so I thought I'll go tomorrow morning. So I went back home. And then Friday morning, I had an appointment at the school with one of my boys' teachers, and I thought that the appointment was at 7.30. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna, we left home about 6.45. I'm like, I'm just going to stop at the fuel station on the way to school, refuel, and, uh, and, then, and then go to the meeting afterwards. And then on the way there, I just checked the time, and I realized the meeting's actually at 7. So now if I stop, I'm going to be late. And we were at the entrance of the fuel station. And my son, Eli, my 11-year-old, he's like, Dad, I think it would be a good idea if you were just a few minutes late, but put some fuel in right now. He's like, he's like the wisdom of God to me in that moment. I'm like, no, boy, we're going to be late. It's fine. I trust Jesus. You know, we're going to make it. We made it to school, parked the car, had the meeting, got back into the car. Car doesn't want to start. There's no fuel in the car. Doesn't want to start. But yet, I have not given up on faith, you know. I do not run by, by sight, but by faith. And so... I just kept, I was actually, I prayed a little bit and then I would just pump the gas as much as I can and then try and start it and I pray a little bit more, pump the gas, you know. Um, and the car started eventually. So I'm like, I'm good, but I'm going to drive straight to the fuel station now. I've learned my lesson. 
So I made it outside the school. I'm driving uphill. I made it about 10 meters. Car cuts out. So I pull off on the side of the road. Still a good shoulder there. I'm thinking this should be the time to phone my wife and say I've messed up. I know it's 7 a.m. in the morning and I know that you're eight months pregnant, but I've messed up and I need help. But I thought, you know what? I can see the Celtics garage. It's, it's like three or four blocks. If I can get this car started again and just pray hard enough, I think I can make it. And so I, somehow I got the car started again and I made it two blocks. And then unfortunately, my car died in the middle of the intersection. On Main Road in Bryanston on a Friday morning. And so, you know, this is Joburg. People don't like that. When they have to move around you, you know. And so I felt the stress of like, I'm in the middle of the intersection. People can't go this way and they can't go this way. It's just like, I'm literally blocking everyone. And so I phoned my wife and I'm like, babes, please, just, I need you to get up right away. I need you to get the jerry can out of the garage. I need you to just bring me some fuel. I'm, you know, and I'm like, I know, I know what you're going to say, but just like, and she, and, and it's, now it's hard because I'm stressed because I'm blocking everybody. Everybody's mad at me. That's when it's difficult to act like Jesus, right? And I'm like, babes, I'll be compassionate later, but right now, can you just get out of bed? Can you just get, like, I'm, and she's like, can you send me a pin of where you are? And I was like, you don't need a pin. If you drive up Main Road, I'm the idiot in the middle of the intersection, right? I'm that, I'm there. You'll see me. You'll have to drive around me. And you know, then I just remembered that those are the moments when you need Jesus and you need to rest in Jesus. So I just decided everybody else can be angry. I'm not going to be stressed. I put my car into neutral and kind of let it freewheel back down the hill a little bit so that I was a little bit less in the way. And then I just sat there and relaxed. And I had a great time in the Lord while everybody else in Joburg was getting mad at me. Apparently, Gareth drove past me, and he says he swore at me. I didn't see. I was so in the spirit. I was so in the spirit. I didn't even see Gareth drive past me. I didn't even see my wife arrive when she did. And then I had to walk all the way up, get the bright yellow jerry can for diesel, and do the walk of shame down with like, sorry, guys, today it's me. Next week, it'll be you, you know? So, but the point is, it's in those moments that you really need the grace of God. It's one thing to say we can all behave or, or live in a controlled way and in a spirit-filled way with the fruit of the Spirit abounding in our lives when everything is going well. But that's not really where the work of Jesus comes into its own. The work of Jesus comes into its own when we should be doing everything opposite, when we should be acting like the world, when we should be overwhelmed and overly emotional and having fits of rage and where there's opportunity and circumstance that would bring those things out of us. That's when the work of Jesus in us, in changing us, will reveal how good God's grace really is, how far reaching and how powerful it is when we can begin acting in ways that's different, that looks different to anything we would have been able to do without God's grace. And so Jesus is present in every area of your life. As Eugene Peterson says, Christ plays in 10,000 places. All those little nooks and crannies of our lives, that's where Jesus is present, that's where he works. So this is not a Sunday practice, it's an everyday life that we're a part of. The grace of God is, is for every day. We've been made righteous by grace, and now we get to live righteously by grace. We get to live in a way that looks different. And that's what Paul really begins to expound on from chapters three onwards. And uh, 
And we're going to look at that a little bit. I'm going to share a message today entitled Getting Changed. Getting Changed. How many of you have tried to change yourself? You've tried to fix yourself. You've tried to work on yourself. You've tried self-help. You've read all the books. You've watched all the movies. You've had the inspired moments. You've you got the gym contracts. You bought the program online. You've gone to the courses. You've done all those things. And at the end of the day, there's still certain things you just haven't been able to shift about yourself. Now, there's certain parts of us that aren't designed to change. Your personality, your temperament, how God put you together, your giftings, those are things God gave you for a purpose. I don't try and change myself to become something else. I feel it the moment I do that. I'm like, that's not who I really am. I've got to be who I am, for better or for worse. I've got to be authentic. But at the same time, there are some, some unsubmitted, unsurrendered, or unmatured, immatured parts of my life that I do need God to change so that I can become more like Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today. In Colossians 3 verse 1, Paul says, if you have then been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, if you have a new life, if, you, if you're no longer the old person, but you're a new creation, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, what he's saying there is not that we should be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that saying? Like you're just like in the clouds, like you're kind of detached from anything that's going on around you. I mean, people's lives are falling apart. Your kids haven't eaten in 11 hours. You're sitting in the middle of traffic and everybody's mad and you're just completely detached from the situation. It's not talking about that kind of escapism. This is actually saying it's a very real thing. This is more like you're so heavenly minded that you're more earthly good. It's actually impacting the way you live. But it's saying instead of trying to creep along, fixing yourself using little human techniques and human wisdom and earthly ideas and philosophies of how to get better, get your mind right. Understand who you are in the heavenly places. You are seated with Christ in heaven. That's your position before the throne. When Christ is revealed, you're gonna realize that's who you've been all along. When he shows up, you're gonna go, oh wow, I was actually a spirit-filled child of God all this time. And what Paul is saying is, don't rely on human wisdom to try and get eke a little way forward in this life. Understand who you are in heaven so that you can start living in the power of that today. It would be such a tragedy if you only found out how powerful your life could actually have been when Christ appears. Oh man, I was that level of saved, that anointed, that graced, that a part of Christ. I could have lived a completely different life. So set your things on who you are, set your mind on who you are in heaven so that you can live that out in your daily life. I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where the way that you were dressed didn't match the environment you found yourself in, right? That it was kind of out of place. You were dressed incorrectly for the situation. I remember one time when I was 15 years old, I played a rugby game on a Saturday morning and uh, my dad was with me at this game and it was a good hard game. Obviously, I was wearing a scrum cap for the whole game and so my hair was messed up. I was sweaty. I was full of full of mud, um, you know, just the way that you would look after having played a good, 
hard Saturday morning rugby game at the age of 15. And uh, my mom and my other siblings were off somewhere else. There, was other ex- there were other extramurals happening that day. And so driving home from the rugby game, I'm just looking forward to, to having a shower at home and getting dressed. My dad said, hey, let's go home, get you changed, and then we'll go have breakfast at Santon City. And I don't know if Santon is still like this. Um, I haven't been there on a Saturday morning for a while now. But back in the day, I mean, Santon on a Saturday morning, there was hardly space to walk. You, you would have to wait, like drive around 30 minutes just to find a parking spot. It was absolutely packed. Santon Square, every restaurant, every seat was full. And so my dad's like, we'll go have a breakfast at Santon. Let's go and, uh, and get you changed. And so we went home, got to the house, and then my dad realized he didn't have the house keys. So have you ever done this where you try to break into your own home? We did that. We walked all around, tried all the windows, all the doors, tried shifting roof tiles. I mean, I tried to see if I could squeeze through the window frame. Like, and, and, and none of that worked. After a few minutes of trying, we realized we're not getting into this house unless we break something. And so my dad said, it's fine. You can just, just go as you are. I'm like, Dad, I'm muddy. I'm sweaty. My hair's a mess. I'm in rugby kit, short white rugby shorts. I don't want to go to Santon. I, you know, people know me. I don't want to look like this. And my dad's like, you look fine. Let's just go. And so now we're walking through Santon, and I feel so out of place. I just feel like everybody's looking at me. And you know what happens when you're not quite dressed for the mall and you go to the mall? You see absolutely everyone you have ever known. I mean, I'm talking about friends from school, friends from church, old friends, parents of friends, family members, sporting heroes, grade one teachers, you know, that girl you had a crush on, your arch nemesis, everyone will see you that day. I remember meeting a group of youth leaders from the youth group I was a part of, and they even commented on the fact that I was still in my rugby kit. And it was, a pain, it was painful being there in that, in that moment dressed like that. I just wanted to change. You know, we, we all have that fear of being incorrectly dressed. Like, I don't know, there's two kinds of people I feel when it comes to dresser parties. The ones that go all out and the ones that just like put on one item that meets the brief, right? I'm the one item guy. And that's, I think, because I have this subtle fear that if I go all out and I get there, no one else went all out. Or that I, you know, they were just joking about it being a dresser party. And you get there and you've gone all out. You've done like makeup. You've got masks. You've got all kinds of like extra stuff. And you get there and everybody's looking very normal. Maybe it was when you were a kid and you got the date for civvies day wrong. And you arrived in your civvies and you're sitting in the car and everybody's in school uniform. And you're like, I'm not getting out of this car. I'm, I'm staying right here. You're taking me home. I'm not getting out of the car in civvies on a non-civvies day. But all of this is kind of what Paul is saying in this passage in Colossians 3. He's saying, previously, you were dressed for the occasion. When I had my rugby kit on, on the rugby field, it was fitting. It was appropriate. It was right. And he says, previously, before you were saved and you walked in the futility of your mind, and you were a slave to sin, the sinful things that you did and the sinful life that you lived were appropriate. That was who you were. It was was the life that you lived. You had no other choice but live that life. But now your environment has changed. 
Your season is different. You're no longer the old person in the old life. You're a new creation in Christ. You're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. You're in a new season altogether. So what you wore before is no longer fitting for now, for this new season. You've got to get changed. You've got to change out of the old and into the new because your environment is completely new. What you were wearing before no longer feels right in this situation because things have changed. You're no longer the old slave of sin. You're no longer led by your evil desires or futile thinking. You've become the righteousness of God because of your faith in Jesus. And so there's just, it just doesn't feel right anymore because of how your environment has changed. You're living a brand new life. So no longer think of yourself as a mere citizen of earth. Understand that you are an ambassador of Christ, a member of God's family, and you're seated in heavenly places. That is your heavenly reality, and you've got to walk in that truth. Live it out in your daily life. Martin Luther, the reformer that we've spoken so much about, we've been working through his book uh, or a book about his life, um, this one that I've got here. We've now bought and sold every copy in South Africa. So if you want a copy of this, you can put it in an order. It'll come in a few months. It's got to come from overseas. But, um, but we have, we've been working through this just through the, the life of Martin Luther because he discovered this truth this truth of who he was in, in Jesus. And so he went to pains, through pains, to bring people to this understanding. He was brought before a council because of the gospel that he preached, the gospel message that he proclaimed. And he had to stand before judgment and before a council at the Diet of Worms that we spoke about last week. And after he said, look, unless you can prove to me from the scriptures why what I'm preaching is wrong, it is neither safe nor right for me to recant the things that I've, I've said. And so he was declared shortly after that as an enemy of the empire. And he had to go on the run. And, and he, he left Worms and had to be hidden and went on the run. And, and, uh, and there was a warning put out that anybody who, who helps him or who hides him, who aids him in any way, will themselves be prosecuted. But what's incredible, though, is that once people have tasted this freedom, once your soul has grasped the magnitude of the freedom that is available to you in Christ, anybody that comes and tries to put some sort of a religious expectation or regulation on your life that isn't godly, your soul will instantly resist it. You'll know this isn't the freedom that Christ died for. This isn't the, the freedom that I'm called to live in. This isn't the relation. This isn't what relationship looks like. And so the common people of Worms that had heard Martin Luther preach, they were not going to be put into slavery again, especially to abusive religious power that isn't really preaching the freedom of Christ, but actually putting people into bondage. And so when this statement came out declaring Martin Luther as an enemy of the empire, under the cover of darkness, the common people of Worms went and put up posters all over the town. And this is the most German thing ever. The poster only had one thing on it, a, a bunschku, 
which is German for a drawstring shoe. Just imagine you wake up tomorrow and all of Joburg has got posters of shoes. Just one shoe, just on a poster. What does this mean? And what they were saying is the Bunshku was a symbol of the common people in contrast to the high boots of nobility. And they said, we as the people have begun to understand our freedom. And if you will suppress Martin Luther and the gospel that he preaches, beware of the uprising of the common people, the Bunshku. This is, wherever there is power, there will always be the attempt to abuse. And so yes, in times past, the, the, the religious movements have often abused their leadership role. And Peter speaks about this. He says, you better lead these people like ones who will give an account, serving them, loving them, teaching them about Christ, not lording it over them, not putting them in bondage as a result. There's, there's a godly leadership. And so when the church is taught its true freedom in Christ, what happens is rather than becoming self-condemning, insecure, uh, insecure community that simply is available and open to manipulation, we rise up to become the people of God we're meant to be. Those that are called to rule and reign in this life as God's holy nation. There's an empowerment that comes through this preaching of the gospel. This is who we are. This is who we've become. There's something fundamental to the human spirit that says, when we've tasted the freedom of Jesus, we cannot be put into slavery again. Romans 8 verse 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out. That word for sons is a, a dolphoi, which means sons or daughters, male or female, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So you've received a genuine relationship with Jesus. Not some slavery, not some fearful thing that you're, that you're a part of, that you just have to be afraid, otherwise you're going to be kicked out. They promptly kidnapped Martin Luther and took him to an undisclosed location, which was the Wartburg Castle. This beautiful castle in Germany that you can go and visit today, still set on a hill amongst the trees with the birds. You know, he, Martin Luther referred to it as the kingdom of the birds. In this tiny apartment he was kept that was sometimes used as a, as a temporary prison for errant knights. Just this little room up in, this, in the one tower. And Martin Luther, he grew out his beard and got a sword and paraded as a knight. He pretended to be a knight of the castle. And he even took on another name, Junker George. So if you ever hear about Junker George, Junker George is Martin Luther during his time in hiding. And for those months that he sat in this little study, he wrote prolifically. I mean, almost at a supernatural rate. He translated the Bible, the New Testament. It took him 11 weeks to translate the Latin New Testament into German. And for some of it, there were no German words for it. So he made German words that to this day are part of the German language. He completely shifted the German language and in fact brought unity to the German nation by developing a common language through this Bible that he translated in 11 weeks. 
Some of us, it takes us like 11 weeks to read one chapter of the Bible. But what I love about Martin Luther, and I, and I, I was, I was going to say this before, is that they had the same, they had the same criticism of him that they have of, had of Jesus when they said he was just a, a drunkard and a glutton. When, they looked, when people looked at Martin Luther, they said, he's way too relaxed. He just loves hanging out. He's just, he's jovial. And you know, that's one of the signs that God's grace is at work at your life. You begin enjoying your life more. You're able, you're free to be yourself because you know that you're in a process with God, that he's busy changing you. He wrote in that time countless sermons and letters and papers on how we should live in grace. He preached this message of freedom and then a lot of people took that message and they started to make up new rules with the freedom. So one person started to preach that you can no longer have icons or, 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 or images in the church of saints or of you know, you know, all kinds of things. So they would have images in church to help people connect with their faith. And then one person came and said, well, it's now evil to have images in, in church. So all the images must be burned. And then Martin Luther came out and he said, because you said there are not allowed to be any images in church, there should be images in church. And if somebody said you should have images in church, then you should have no images in church. In other words, we're not living by the dictates of like, unless you do this thing. Instead, what happens is that as God begins to reveal freedom, you should authentically live that out. Not based on a requirement that's been put on you, but based on something that comes from your heart through Christ. Obviously based in the scriptures. So he started to write, how do we live in grace? He wrote this. He said, when God in his sheer mercy and without any merit of mine has given me such unspeakable riches, shall I not then freely, joyously, wholeheartedly, unprompted, do everything that I know will please him. Wouldn't that be a real relationship? Where it's not legislated, but it's free. Wouldn't that be real love? Imagine if my wife only loved me because I told her she signed a contract. You, you better love me because remember, you signed a contract. Even if she did that, would I feel loved? I mean, come on, we know if love is real or not. Why when we get to God, we're like, well, I'll just go to church on Sunday and then I'll just do this and I'll just do this. And God's like, but I actually what I wanted was your heart. I wanted something real. I want you to really know me and love me. I'm not, I'm not asking you just to, Jesus says, these people, they honor me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. It's not the kind of love I want. This is not the kind of sacrifice I'm looking for. I'm looking for something genuine. I will give myself, he says. This is how he lives out what will please God. I will give myself as a sort of Christ to my neighbor as Christ gave himself for me. One of the most true ways for us to please God is to love others the way that he loved us. And so the more you grow in grace, the more you'll be in love with Jesus and the more you'll be willing to serve others. That's how we know that we're growing in grace. That's what it's going to do. It's gonna to lead to it, and I love this. He says it's gonna be free, joyous, wholehearted, and unprompted. It's just naturally coming forth from who you are. Eric Metaxas, who wrote this biography on Luther, says this. He says, once we embrace Christ, we are instantly made righteous because of his righteousness and not because of anything we have done or could do. So our good works do not earn us God's favor. 
the favor we already possess, even though we are sinners who sin and cannot help sinning, by turning to God in faith as sinners who understand that we're sinners and crying out for God's help, we do all we can by acknowledging our helplessness. That's how we respond. At this point in which our faith acknowledges the truth of our situation, we are instantly clothed with the righteousness of God, instantly. And it is now our gratitude to God for this free gift of His righteousness and salvation that makes us want to please Him with our good works. We do them not out of grievous and legalistic duty or out of a hope to earn God's favor, but out of sheer gratitude for the favor we already have. Our service to Him is redeemed and transmuted into free servitude. That is the power of faith in Christ. Martin Luther said, I, a Christian, is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. Those two things are not contradictory because we are servants that are free. We've chosen to serve. Our service comes out of love. We've received love and love will compel us. The love of Christ compels us. Does this make sense this morning? It's so much more than just, I'm gonna be a good Christian. No, I'm gonna let Jesus love me. And then naturally out of that, I'm gonna love people more. In other words, when you truly become aware of and grateful for the grace of God, your have-tos become want-tos. So now I can read to you Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews says that you have to go to church. You have to show up on a Sunday morning. You have to be a part of a gathering and a growing community. You have to be a part of that. But when somebody drags you to church, maybe some of you have been dragged to church as kids or been dragged to church by friends or been dragged to church by your own guilty conscience, but then you discover God's grace. Wait, Jesus loves me? And I go, hey, you don't have to come to church. I wanna go to church. I don't wanna miss it. I wanna be there. And so even when it comes to sin, it just doesn't feel right anymore. I've been changed. I, I just can't live in the, I just can't wear the old clothes in the new season. I just can't wear the rugby clothes in Santa and it just doesn't feel right anymore. I, I, I've got a desire to honor God and please God in my life. And I, I just, and I don't know how, to, I'm not judging this from my perspective. I just am telling you, I don't understand it. When there are people who take the name of Christ say that they understand His grace, say that they understand that they've been resurrected in Him and then are totally comfortable living in the old ways. I don't understand it. Because I still sometimes fail many times and fall short. But I know instantly this is not right. It's not who I am. And my first prayer is, Jesus, help me. I wanna become everything you've created me to be. I wanna do and live in the way that reflects Christ the best. And when I, I simply do not just accept things that I know do not line up with God's word because my heart has been changed. I, I, I wanna honor God more than I crave sin. I've been changed. Colossians 3, 5 to 11 says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. You actually have the right to put it to death. It doesn't, it doesn't have to control you anymore. He mentions this, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, 
which is idolatry. So he puts all of those things under idol worship. Because what he's saying is the reason why people sin is not just because their flesh craves to do those things, because, but because actually they're worshiping those things. They can't live without sexual immorality. They can't live without impurity. They can't live without these evil passions and desires and, and jealousy and coveting, wanting more and more and more because they're worshiping them. That's why they can't let go of them. So put your idols to death. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you, once, you too once walked. It was a part of your old life. We get that when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self, you've, you've taken the old self off. It's like, it's, it's literally speaking about it like clothes. You've taken the old outfit off and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Your new self is constantly being renewed to look more and more like Jesus. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We have put on Christ. We've got, new, we've got a change of clothing and it's appropriate for the season. So put to death the things that belong to the old season. And he, and he mentions sexual immorality, impurity, all those things. And it's got to be understood that God is not against sex. He's not against passion. He's not against desire. But he's against the inordinate worship of those desires. It's idolatry. That's why Martin Luther said, do not suppose that abuses are eliminated by destroying the object which is abused. Men can go wrong with wine and woman. Shall we then prohibit and abolish woman? The sun, the moon, and the stars have been worshipped. Shall we then pluck them out of the sky? The sun and the moon are not the issues. They're neutral. They're good. They're part of God's creation. It's our hearts that would worship them that needs to be changed. And so there's many things that we can simply abstain from, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. And what the law does is it says, just abstain. What grace does is it says, let's get changed. Let's change the heart that would inordinately worship these things, which is idolatry. This is how grace leads us into a new life. Have you ever been into a, in a new season and then you've gone back and tried something again and then it was like, but this tastes horrible now? Or this feel, just, just it doesn't even, you know, we, my wife and I, we feel like our taste buds are developing all the time because in the past we used to be able to go to any store and buy any form of chocolate and go home and eat it. And now we've come to the place where we're like, this chocolate tastes cheap. It tastes like cheap chocolate. Like things that were like, even from Switzerland now, we're sometimes like, yeah, it's okay. Why has this happened to us? I don't know, but we've developed, we've changed, we've grown. I remember when I was writing my final matric exams in high school. And you know, when you're writing your matric exams and you're studying all day, something like FIFA on PlayStation can become incredibly alluring. And so I got so stuck into it, I would actually tell myself, okay, study for an hour and then I'll reward myself with 15 minutes of FIFA on PlayStation. It's never 15 minutes. It kind of turns, it's like switches. It's like an hour PlayStation, 15 minutes of study. And I remember when I was writing my final exam, I thought, you know what? I can't wait. 
I'm going to write this exam. I'm going to go home. I'm going to, I had a TV in my room. I had put my, my, my study chair kind of like over the edge of my bed. It fit perfectly. And so I was like kind of like sitting on a chair on my bed with the TV. In front. I'm like, I'm going to play PlayStation until my eyes bleed. Nonstop. Six weeks of holiday before varsity starts. I'm good to go. I went home. I played for about three minutes. I was like, I'm bored. It's a different season. Church, that's what it should feel like when we're growing in Jesus. Oh, I wanted this so bad. I wanted it so bad. Oh, okay, now it doesn't really appeal to me any longer. The things that previously used to attract us, they no longer attract us. The things that previously we were addicted to, we just don't feel like we need them anymore. That's what it really looks like when you're growing in grace. You're being changed. Now, anger, wrath, malice, obscene talk, lies, these things, some of these things I still do. But instead of me just trying to fix myself all the time and reform my behavior, I'm putting my trust in the new self, in who I am in Christ. And I have friends around me, good friends, that if I fail, will remind me of who I really am. This is who you, that's not who you are. This is who you are. Let me tell you today, the gospel is your best friend. It will always remind you of who you really are. When you sin, when you fail, when you fall short, the gospel is a true friend. So what we've been called to is to put on a new self, a new image of our creator as we discover who Jesus is. Colossians 3.12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, you've been chosen by God, holy and beloved. How incredible is it? That's your identity. You're God's chosen one who is holy and loved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds us, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is what we get to put on. How many of you know that good clothes are expensive? And there have been times when we've had to say, Lee and I, that we'd rather buy good clothes every so often than just go and buy a lot of clothes that's poor quality. And so sometimes that means we can only buy one item a month or one item every second month. And how many of you have ever wished that you could pick up a credit card somewhere and it has unlimited funds? And you can just go buy all the clothes that you need. Well, this is kind of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've already paid the price. You don't even need to pay for these things. They're free gifts to you. But instead of putting on Armani and Gucci and Diesel and Guess, what we get to wear is compassion and kindness and humility, meekness and patience and forgiveness. Let's be clear. 
Those clothes are more expensive than anything that anybody could ever have afforded. Nobody could afford those clothes. They're so expensive, no one could ever buy them. But God has given them to us as a gift. Hey, church, you don't have to pay for it. You can just wear kindness. You can just wear meekness. You can just be compassionate. You can just forgive and love. Previously, you wouldn't be able to, but Jesus has paid for you to wear those clothes. Final verse, Galatians 3, 26 says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like the putting on of new clothes. You've put on Jesus. So this changes. When we look in the mirror, it changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we relate to others. We get to that place where we can, like Martin Luther said, be a kind of Christ to our neighbor. We can be teaching and admonishing one another and singing psalms and encouraging each other with thankful hearts, lifting others up. In other words, living a life that's not focused on self, but has a true desire to honor God and love others. That's how we know we're growing in grace.